Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. This is episode 34 of <laughs> season two of Drive-by Cinema. My name is Rick. His name is Rick. And Paul, I've introduced, uh, sorry, I've invited what? you. To this oh, I'm, uh, no. Oh, right. Okay. I, he, he's really laying down the law. I'm no longer a co-host. I've simply been invited to offer my my, my contribution. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to let you go because oh, I'm going to employ someone cheaper, an agency worker who will just do the job cheaper, Paul. Now, I realize oh. that making your position redundant and then making it unredundant and then getting somebody else to do it is strictly... Against Illegal. the laws of the land, our employment laws. Yeah. However, it doesn't matter because I'm saving the business, Paul, and I know that the business is important to you. And also, I'm going to compensate you. I'm going to pay you a little bit more money uh, just to make you shut up and go away, really. Because I think that's how the legal system works. That's how crime works, isn't it? I mean, if I want to commit a crime against you, as long as I pay you a bit of compensation, that's A-OK, isn't it, in the eyes of the law? Has this been resolved yet? That's what we learn, isn't it? Is that is that what's is that what's I, come out of it? Or? Uh, wow! The CEO of P and O, which is what we're talking about, cruises or ferries, whatever. Oh, called. you mean I've still got a job, Richard? He he appeared before a select committee, and yeah, I saw that's that. Basically, bit. what he said. He's, he said he hands admitted up, yeah, that we broke, broken the law. We broke the law, but it should be allowed because the company's in dire straits. It should be allowed, yeah, because this treasure... Well, the Straits of Gibraltar, I'm not sure which <laughs> Straits the, the boats are in. However, poor things is P&O Carnival Cruises, who are a completely unassociated company, and all their cruises are being boycotted now. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. so my mistake, actually, was apropos. It's, everyone's making that mistake. Interesting. Well, it's P&O Liners... Uh, uh, the ones that are... They just do the, the ferry crossings, basically, yeah. Okay, completely evolved and you know sort of uh asset stripped previously 10 20 years ago from the pnl giant sort of uh, cruises that your grandma or your parents these days i guess would go on oh yes hmm. i've been tempted to go on a cruise so have i oh no <laughs> oh, no i didn't mean it like that no i have do you know the big gay cruises i've been tempted to go on one of those see what it's all about well, I think it's you know, mostly about you know, about infections and the resulting irritable irritable bowel syndrome. But. That's exactly the problem. Exactly, it's a, a biological microcosm type thing, isn't it? It's a petri dish. Yeah, but when you add huge amounts of gay sex, it's like you know, just well. Well, I'm sure we'll talk more about that when we discuss the movie this week. But that only happens after. Did the you say when we discussed the movie, Richard? I, no, I did not. Oh, no, you're didn't. hearing what you want to hear. Hey. <laughs> Paul. Sorry, go on, go on, go on, go on. I'll be nice. I'm raking over the coals of recent... Oh, hellfire. Uh, Has George been helping you? ...episodes to, to see what mistakes we've made. Yeah, go on. I did promise last week that we'd have more to say about the Batman. Yeah. Because I noticed a couple of things about the Batman that we hadn't talked about. One was the well, fact It's terribly that depressing. Did you notice? Did you Dude, find not a joke in all of it? Some of the musical bits were, were a little bit. They, they were kind of cranked up. It was like they were trying to force me to feel like there was some suspenseful mystery stuff going on by playing 
suspensey mystery music at me quite loudly. Did you feel that? Yeah. Or are you not? I probably was asleep, but I, I can accept the fact that probably did occur. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for backing me up there. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I, I'm, like, we... I'm saying yeah, but I don't remember. Like the other thing about Batman is we didn't talk at all about the whole concept of Batman as a superhero. I mean, we briefly we mentioned that. Obviously. We said he was like, you know, he was like... He's like the, Iron Man, a, he's a, like Iron a Man. billionaire. Yeah. I mean, we do have our own billionaire superhero, don't we? Elon Musk, in, yeah. In real life, yeah. Who most recently has been Fighting calling... the Russians. Try, yeah, trying to get Putin to have a one-on-one fight with him. <laughs> Did you see what happened as a consequence of that? No, Tesla shares skyrocketed. No, some kind of Chechen warlord general, like real hard guy, responded to his tweet and basically told him that he wasn't man enough and went on this kind of tirade about how he would have to go into Chechen fighter training. And What? Know, yeah, yeah. You know, he explained all the stuff about what you have to do in... You know, training to be a Chechen fighter and how he wasn't man enough. And I think he even called him Elona at one point. Like a girl's name. That is, yeah, he called him a girl's name. Do you know, I think that's, Elon Musk would say hands up, that's true. I mean, his his on and off girlfriend Grimes does say that uh, Elon tends to live like below the breadline most of the time. Well, he changed his Twitter handle to Elona. Elona. In response to this tweet. Oh, wow. As far as I know, a fight has not yet happened, and I can't imagine uh, that Putin would take him up on the offer. Being a billionaire and indulging in your vigilante fantasies, yeah. it's not really heroic, is it? It isn't heroic, no. No. Uh, hanging around in the night, dressed in a rubber bat suit and beating people up, even with the best will and intention in the world, is not to be encouraged. Did you know that there are people who really do this? They dress up and go around cities being superheroes. Have we spoken about this before? No, no. What do you think about the guys that try to, like, locate uh, internet scammers? Is that stepping into the world of vigilantism or not? What, you mean like Jim Browning? Yeah. And stuff. Well, I think it's I think it's important work because there's very little that the Policing, law enforcement yeah. agencies are actually doing or can even do, partly because of the international nature of the crime. You know, this all gets back to the problem that the internet is a global phenomenon, right? It can't be yeah. policed by national agencies because it isn't a nationally incorporated thing, you know. So the only it, sensible I mean, way... Is to cut the cord underneath the sea. <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't go that far. No, it, it would work. I think blunt instrument. It, this it is work. one day we need a one-world government and a one-world police force, don't we, to police these things? That's how it has to work in the end. Let's go now to the music. Yes, sorry. Can I just say so we yeah. can talk about absolutely oh. before we do that? Can I just say vigilantism? Not a big fan. However, I can't condemn it uh, en masse, so to speak. 
Yeah, Back final. on the fence. Uh, Judge, Paul's normal no, position on these matches. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> Sitting firmly Solomonic, on the a Solomonic, A Solomonic decision, I think. Okay, Paul. So, what do you know about short bus? I didn't know anything about it. You, you said, Paul, we can't watch your favourite movie ever, so we're oh, going to yeah, have to watch that's right. something similar. Which we've is got short to apologise. So we couldn't find "Relax." It's just sex. Uh, anywhere, it's not anywhere. watchable in the UK. I mean, we could have used VPNs and stuff like that, but you know, who has the time? I found three minutes of it on YouTube. So, instead, I suggested Short Bus, because yeah. it seemed to be ploughing the same groove, as it were. <laughs> yes. But I've no idea, because I've not seen the other film, Paul. Only you can tell me whether I was on the right lines there. Well, as it's a white whale from 21 years ago, uh, I can't quite remember. And it's not very... The plot isn't well described on Wikipedia or anything like that, because, of course, as we can't view it, you can imagine it's a film that's kind of disappeared into nowhere, but does star the delightful Jennifer Tilly. Uh, so Short Bus, therefore, is... What I know of it is what I've watched, uh, and uh, it's fairly fresh in my memory. Uh, it is, if you like, it's centred around the activities of a New York sex salon of the early 2000s, uh, apparently apocryphally based on many salons that were like that, okay? Uh, really? These things, yeah. these places existed? They exist, yeah. They still do. They I do mean, exist. They were big in the UK maybe 10 years ago, I think. Really? Where? I mean... Well, the UK's know, got so a different... I mean, interesting. First thing to say is, you know, it's very sort of... Is it Upper East Side? It's it's very bohemian. It's, it's, it's very much the cool cats of New York, isn't it, you know? So it's hosted by a transvestite or transsexual, I'm not sure, who's called James... Jimmy Bond? Or I can't remember his name. Uh, and uh, and what was I going to say? Yeah, in the UK, like of course, it's more like suburban sort of homes where you go for swingers parties kind of thing. So it's not based on the same kind of ideas of intellectual, social, and sexual growth, freedom of expression, is it? It's more about, you know, getting down to a bit of uh, whips and chains with the... I'm a bit of wife swapping for the evening in the UK, I think. Listening to my friends that have done that kind of thing. Like, oh, one, yeah. Oh, I, have one, I see. I have one mate. Shut <laughs> up. I have one mate. And uh, he was like, uh, he's younger than me. And he ran an eight-minute mile, uh, uh, despite being 18 stone. And uh, he was like, he, he was he was in Leeds for a while. He was a security guard before before he came to work with me. I mean, we met out of the country. I think I was working in Hong Kong at the time when I was working with him. But he was like saying, yeah, you know, I was younger, I was 22, 23. You used to go to the uh, wife swapping parties in Leeds, you know. And it literally is like, you know, <laughs> it literally is like a 70 detached house with the lights on outside, maybe a few fairy lights hung in the, hung in the driveway to announce itself. And you knock on the door and you go in, there's 100 people there just banging away kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's a bit kinds. sexist to call it wife swapping. Why can't it be called husband swapping? Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, but, that's just how it was, I guess. I mean, it isn't a particularly progressive, or wasn't, excuse me, wasn't a particularly progressive scene back then in the UK, I don't. However, this, what I'm saying is this, you know, these people are 
are not the glitterati, but the chosen arati of the sort of more exper- experimental side of the New York art scene. Yeah. Various characters are always doing their thing, kind of thing, uh, quite torturously. Uh, and it has a general vibe of Andy Warhol's factory, you know, that kind of thing. So there's a continuity of ideas. And in fact, at one point, the transvestite host says, you know, this is like the 60s, but without the hope, you know. So there we go. Justin Bond. Is the Justin Bond, thank you. thank you. Thank you. The director and writer is one John Cameron Mitchell. Yes. And he'd come off the back of another regarded famous really? film, Hedwig and the Ang- Angry Inch. Wow. Is that his also? Yes. And his more recent claim to fame is that he, I think, is starring, but certainly he is in the Sandman adaptation of the Sandman DC comics thing that Netflix are doing, which I'm really keen to see. So I'm looking forward to that. Can I just say, uh, what defines this movie as opposed to movies that came before it was the variety of explicit scenes containing non-simulated sexual intercourse with visible penetration and male ejaculation. This, I think, when it was released in 2006, was kind of like a cinematic first for quite a large release, and this did have a budget of $2 million and made, amazingly, $5.4 million at the box office. So, you know, quite an artsy film, but nonetheless, a box office success, or relative success, at least. Well, you nailed it. This film... It's sort of groundbreaking, particularly in the UK, I think, yeah. for showing real sex and erections, which I think you weren't probably allowed to at some points during history in the UK. And yeah, so quite a thing. It caused quite a stir. It was, Did it? as you can imagine, pretty controversial. As indeed are the reviews, if you go and read any of the reviews. I read so I you know I read some historical views uh reviews for purposes of this podcast. The Guardian 2012 rather late I think reviewing it. I gave it 3 out of 5 uh, and said some things about there being too much sex in it. <laughs> too <laughs> much it, sex. Yeah. It's a film about sex, you know what I mean? But uh yeah, I mean that's just a cultural thing I think isn't it? You know the UK that America have different ideas about how much we should show of something that isn't showable in the public square of, of, of daily daily human intercourse kind of thing. Well, but yeah. the funny thing is, you know, in the US, they're quite prudish about sex, aren't they? They are. When Janet yeah. Jackson's wardrobe malfunction caused her to show a nipple during the Super Bowl halftime, it was like someone had shot the president's dog or something, wasn't it? But you see, I, I, th- I think that's more about more about the context where it, when it occurred, I, in a family sort of public square town hall situation yeah americans are perhaps more more old-fashioned about manners and conducting yourself in a certain sort of way not in formal situations but in public situations some parts of the american populace are anyway i mean certainly true you know america i think america has the biggest porn industry in the world as well doesn't it oh yeah 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 san fernando valley and what have you so it's a bit of a paradox isn't it I mean, I think for me, the central question about this movie remains, which is, why not just make it porn? Apparently he answered that, the, the director, uh, the producer. I think he did all everything. The writer, director, producer. Yeah. Uh, he said, it, you know, uh, it, it, oh, I've got it here. The film attempts to employ sex in new cinematic ways because it's too interesting just to leave to porn. I'm not sure I agree with porn being boring necessarily, but I get what he's saying. 
Which, this is not porn. Well, okay, I'm going to now well, make... He's saying that. He's saying it's not porn, yeah. He's saying it's not porn. He's a writer and director. I watch this film and I don't think it's, it's porn. porn. Oh, okay. On the other hand, you watch this on X Hamster. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to pay. Well, no, it was free. What, what was it, Mubin, we had to log into to see this? The one place you could see it? By the Mubi, way, we need, yes. Mubi, we need to tell people how to view this. Okay, it's on Mubi. Okay, but then you have to log in and then not forget to... Cancel your subscription cancel before your free weekends. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's no problem. It's and easy. that's £7 or something. Well, I would forget. So I, I thought, well, I'll just do the rounds and do 15 minutes of finding somewhere free because there would be somewhere free to watch it. Uh, and I found two places, one of which was X Hamster. Yeah. The sex is certainly explicit, no question, especially for a non-born film. But it's not done for the purpose of titillating the viewer so much. Not that there's no. anything wrong with that. No, and, and the trailers on X Hamster were, were very different to the normal trailers that you might get on <laughs> Prime. <laughs> it was Look, weird. I was like settling down from movie experience and it was like completely like really frivolous adverts coming up, you know. <laughs> the sex in this story is there because it's a story about sex. Yeah. There are many, many Hollywood films, mainstream Hollywood films even, where there is a sex scene in there which has no real place to be in there, you know, other than the fact that you're trying to show how sexy the, you know, the stars or the protagonists are. This story is about ordinary people who happen to be having sex like most ordinary people do. Nothing wrong if you don't have sex, by the way, that's also fine. And so therefore, it shows people having sex. It's okay not to have sex, it's okay to have sex. Well, this movie kind of employees to the actors as a suggestion it's not okay not to orgasm <laughs> yeah so Weirdly. let's just go through the plot because loosely speaking it is the story of a sex therapist called dr sophia something rather sophia lynn i think lynn yeah who it turns out although advising people on their couples therapy type stuff hasn't had an orgasm herself yeah. and it takes a journey of her pre-orgasm discovery about herself and her body and trying to figure that out. But it also follows a couple of other sort of people or couples through their own journey. There's a gay couple, Jamie and James, or Jamie and James? Jamie and James, yeah. James is played by Paul uh, Dawson. PJ the boy plays his boyfriend, Jamie. Couple. Now they're at a stage where I think they're getting a bit bored with their relationship. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about having an open relationship and having other people involved. The one guy, I don't know which way around they are. I don't know who is James and who is Jamie. But the one who, at the very beginning, is trying to self-suck. Uh, Jamie. Well, Sorry, James, 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 see, James. I, see, you don't know the names either. James. I'm going to just Dawson. call him self-suck. Self-suck Paul. He, he uh, seems to be quite depressed. He's taking pills. Is that... Is, are they indicating that he's got AIDS? Is that why he's taking all that medication? Don't think so, no. He's just depressed, I think. And at some stage during the movie, and trigger alert, trigger warning, he does try to kill himself yeah. as a consequence of his depression. And he's making movies throughout the film. It's really like a suicide note, really, isn't he? He's making them for his, his lover, his boyfriend, to, I don't know, express what he's thinking. To say, look, don't feel bad about the fact... He's, well, I think he's trying to explain why he did it and therefore, you know, to tell him his boyfriend, that it's not his fault. But, yeah. Uh, it's not his boyfriend's fault that he decided to kill himself. Yeah. 
there's some weird thing there, some backstory about all the terrible things those people did to you, and that's why you can't have. That's why you can't be receptive. That's why you can't, you know, be the passive partner in sex kind of thing. Suggested through the movie, and it's not. I thought that was a weak point. Generally, that's not explored. It's just thrown out there for us to accept. You know? There's also a dominatrix. There's a sort of montage of these different scenes of these people at the beginning of the movie with, yeah. as I mentioned, one of that gay couple is trying to suck himself off whilst he's being watched by a voyeur from across the uh, across the road in a different apartment with a camera. Uh-huh. And there's the sex therapist having sex with her husband and they're going through all these different positions and she's certainly acting like she's... She's trying hard, yeah. I love her husband. He's like he's like so dopey. He's like so he's really handsome, but just like Rob, isn't it? I think not a lot going on in the toolbox kind of thing. And then there's a dominatrix who's whipping this. She describes him as a trust fund kid or something. Yeah, bit of brat. Yeah, Yeah. and she's uh, doing the dominatrix stuff. I've I've met so many friends who are like her. By the way, (laughs) did you not feel that a lot of it was like, oh, let's just flip things over? Okay, the sex therapist who actually doesn't know that much about orgasms but obviously knows about relationships okay uh the dominatrix who ultimately isn't that much of a dominatrix and isn't that confident and he's quite you know he's quite feeble kind of thing did you not feel that there was some sort of rather obvious flip side symmetries that were explored in no in no really enervating way throughout this movie richard or not the problem that this movie has is i'm not really sure what it is trying to say yeah it doesn't have I'd, a very, very strong story it doesn't have a very strong through line Maybe that's not a big problem. I mean, it's... It's not, no. no. It's an exploration of, you know, of openness. It's also a comedy, we have to point out. So. It is, yeah, it's definitely trying to be a comedy. It's not fantastically funny. But it's not great, isn't it? Oh, look at that psychologist actually got no common sense. Oh, look at the sex therapist. Oh, she doesn't know that much about sex, you know. I mean, I, I, you know, it's an obvious flip, but I think you have to do more, more with it than that, don't you? It's played somewhat for laughs, but it's not particularly funny. Mm. Now, at the very beginning as well, just before this montage of these different people, New York, which is where this is set, is portrayed mm-hmm. in kind of 3D stylized animation, which comes back later, yeah. I think. That was partly because it's cheaper to do that than to get like helicopter shots of New York. Well, you get drones these days, wouldn't you? But of course, drones Not don't in exist. Those days. Yeah, yeah, it'd be really expensive. Yeah. So the New York lights is going to have some sort of uh, metaphoric symbolism at the end. Uh, so all these characters kind of they're they're twine and twines at the salon at uh, Justin Bond's salon, and he's a real person. He's playing himself here. He's playing a caricature close to his actual self. Hang on though, you haven't explained how they they were all wind up there, because the gay couple J and J, they go to see Doctor Sophia as a sex yeah. therapist to talk about. Them wanting to have an open relationship. To talk about the decision they've already both agreed to. So you can tell. I mean, when when couples do that, it's obvious that something's on the wane. Do you know what I mean? They both want an open relationship. They really want to go and talk about it just in case the other person, not themselves, of course, is harboring some sort of aggression towards the decision. Now she tells Jamie, I think. Get out of the room. Get out of the room. And Selsuck tells their story and he's a lifeguard Paul which is something you could relate to isn't it mm-hmm. and he tells his story oh god which, yeah he's necrophilia at moment <laughs> in summary is that whilst he's being a lifeguard on duty in this gym some guy turns up dead in the pool yeah and that's oh my it, god really. there's something floating down in the jacuzzi there but we can't see it because it's a dead body and they all jump out of the pool and he drags the 
the cadaver out. Re- not really an indictment of him as a lifeguard, Paul. How many, I don't know. I mean, how much? How, how many dead listen? guys have you pulled out of the pool? Wait a minute. Wait, I'll tell you a story about that. But wait a minute. I mean, how far do you expect him to see through a foamy, soapy, bubbly jacuzzi? I mean, you can't, can you? So it's why is he much, there then? <laughs> well, I think he's he was overlooking the pool as well, actually, if you if you remember. Okay. Okay. So it's not yeah. really his job to be looking at the <laughs> the hot tub or whatever. Generally was, speaking, when you go in the hot tub, it, it is at your own risk. You're taking your life into your own yeah. hands. Yeah. <laughs> Well, when it, my first life, my second lifeguard job, there was one kid who was epileptic, and they used to bring him in with a, with like like one of those biking helmets. that is like has support struts. It's like four or five support struts. So it's like open, an open soft biking helmet, yeah, with empty bits. Like, and you go and swim in that, and uh, yeah, he drowned about three or four times a session. Would just be yeah. oh my god! But he drowned so much. He like I think he learned to relax his lungs and not try and breathe in. You see, and he would just pass out and be on the bottom. And then we go and recover him. And then he'd be okay to carry on, kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So, even in the most extreme conditions, I always save somebody. Uh, yeah. The number of deaths was zero. You, yeah. you had was yeah. zero. <laughs> Although I had a few, I had a few near misses. Like there was one guy who really split his head open on the diving board by doing something stupid. He did a Greg Luganis. Yeah, I'd never seen so much red, red fluid. Pooled in one area. The scalp breathes profusely, doesn't yeah. it? So uh, think but about the scalp. Uh, like we didn't get to him for about thirty-five seconds or whatever, and uh, he'd already lost a lot of blood by that point. So that was touching God, but he did survive. But the number of children that just lost front teeth, you know, because I didn't blow my whistle early enough. Yeah, just it's more about running on the sides of swimming pools. I, why they still have those really slippery tiles, I don't know. Because there's no need for them. You could have like that kind of like. You know the, the glittery, glittery sort of silver in this? Yeah, the really grippy really stuff. Why yeah. just have the really grippy stuff? I, I don't know. I think it's because it would encourage people to run even more. I don't know. But so many missing front teeth. And, and you become inured to it in the end. You just don't care about the fact that, you know, children are just bleeding gums and holding their mouths, spitting teeth out, spitting bits of tooth out as they're running in well, shock. Well, as long as it's only their baby teeth, it doesn't matter, yeah. does it? So, sorry, Richard, you were saying. Anyway. Yeah, so he's a lifeguard. And... He tells this story. But but she was good enough to know to throw the other guy out, yeah. Because she knew there was something pivotal here. Well, he comes back in and they have some kind of row. She ends up slapping the guy. Because she's pre-orgasmic. Exactly. She explains that she's never had an orgasm. And they both say, well, you should come along to this club called Short Bus. And they'd done nothing this session anyway. She, like, split them up and didn't really talk about what they wanted to talk about. So I wouldn't be paying her anyway if I was them. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) So she shows up to Short Bus. It's a kind of place where you have to knock on the door and you get let in. And then Justin Bond explains it to her. This also explains the name of the film, of course. I think the idea is that this is the place for all the people who don't belong on the big yellow school bus of sexuality. Uh, They're all on the short bus. And it's pretty full on, isn't it? Because straight away, she's looking at an orgy room where everybody is having sex. And we're there as well. And we're seeing all those people having real sex. I mean... There's no real disguising no, it. Is they're there? all banging away. There's erections and going to hold them. Fair play to them getting like. I mean, they're not porn actors, are they? Actresses. So fair play to the erections whilst being filmed. They're described as sextras in the uh. credits. Uh, she meets Seth with a C. He's using a pocket PC, which has got an app on it. I think it calls Yenta. What's all that about? I tried to look it up. It doesn't exist. <laughs> well, it prefigures the idea of Grinder, doesn't it? Yeah. That's really, that's the prototypical grinder on a pocket PC. 
It wasn't on his phone because he had a flip phone with him as well. It's quite cute to see how like he tries to like smooth his hair down before he does a profile picture. Like it's so cute to see how little effort of self promotion he does when using this fledgling app. It's so different to how Grinder is, you know what I mean? And he immediately gets a hit or two, I think, maybe. But he, some guy comes up to him, doesn't yeah. he? And they're kind of swapping info. But it's very forward thinking. There we go. Dr. Sophia, meanwhile, she winds up in a girl, a, a room full of girls who are all start talking about their best orgasm stories. Oh. And Sophia's still saying, you know, that sex is awesome for her, but she needs to experience that ultimate orgasm. Whilst this young gay guy, Seth, is getting off with the mayor, the ex-mayor. Yeah. Uh, the mayor apparently is feeling very guilty about the AIDS crisis and whether he'd, he'd done enough. And Justin Bond as well, he talked to, to Sophia about all young people coming to New York because of 9-11. Yeah. Not sure I understood that point. We had a couple of 9-11 references in there, but I don't know what they're on about. It's not long after it, is it, when this was made, let's face it. In that room full of girls talking about orgasms... The dominatrix, I think is called Severin, that's the name. That's straight from the Zola Underground and and Andy Warhol. It's not a real name, but she won't really use a real name until much later. But she takes a picture of Dr. Sophia and she writes her number on it and passes it to her. She also takes a picture of James, the the self-sucker, and then writes his price for his first rent boy job next to him. So... that's right, Nobody's, yeah, nobody's paying her to be nasty at this point, so obviously she's troubled. Seth winds up with J&J, who are obviously on the lookout for someone to join them to spice up their relationship. Yeah. I'm not sure these days we would accept the age-appropriateness of this younger boy kind of being taken in by two experienced, two experienced guys, but what the heck. But how old do you think he is? I mean, he's clearly he's about over... 22, 23. Yeah. That's perfectly okay, isn't it? Oh, oh well, I'm not sure. I'm not I mean, sure. Look, you know, the court of public opinion these days would agree with that, really. I mean, is it okay for him to have been with that elderly ex-mayor? Again, guy? these days that would definitely have screams of disgust and exploitation and privilege. So, do you think we are becoming more? We definitely are in, in relation to age, and age related to people presenting or potentially presenting as aspects of patriarchy. Very much so, yeah. Since Weinstein and whatnot, I mean, you can understand that. I mean, whether or not it's, whether or not there's legitimacy in that, I think there often is legitimacy to, to that number of males that do exploit other people in that way. Of course, I think it is mostly older males, but I think more and more in terms of the, the court of public opinion, yes, definitely. Both these situations, I think now, fifteen years later on, we looked at with it almost extreme levels of suspicion. I would imagine. I mean, Seth winds up back at their place. And they end up doing a three-way sex session. Yeah, very gentle. Whilst, strangely, whilst singing the Star Spangled yeah. Banner, which... I don't I mean, know. I, <laughs> I don't know. But the important thing about hot. this yeah, is they're being not ugly, there's no, and there's not, there's not ugly people participating in the three-way gay sex. I don't know. I don't, I, the body fashions of, the gay, of gayness just hasn't gone away. You thought... you. You would have, I mean, of all the sort of stuff to come out of diversity these past few years, you'd think finally gay men would be accepting of people who are ugly, but no. <laughs> but they're being watched again by, a handsome by the guy, guy yeah. across the He's way. He's also really handsome. With the camera. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Meanwhile, Dr. Sophia is back home, and having discussed this with the girls, she's practicing her kegels. <laughs> I mean, surely she must, she must have known about that beforehand. You know, she's a sex therapist. We, we, piddle, therapist. piddle, we do hold my wee. <laughs> 
So yeah. <laughs> She's doing it on the toilet, like, that's right, yeah. 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 Can I just say, like, I think what we should have got is because her lack of wisdom as regarding emotion is quite Shocking, I think. Like, she's very fraught. She's very eager to pursue sexual satisfaction. As a therapist, she should know that kind of obsession and that focus on one aspect is is not what either sexual health, emotional health, or even mental health is about, yeah? So there's a lack of wisdom to her that wasn't really played upon for laughs or for insight, really, in the entire movie. And I just thought it was quite strange how that was just, like, glossed over the fact she'd be really, really uptight about not having an orgasm uh, and yet be in the profession that she's in. Or maybe it was playful. That's, I'm not sure. It's funny, isn't it? It doesn't really tackle no. that particularly well. But, I think, yeah. she's, but it is, it's played for last. In this scene, apart from doing a kegel, she then gets out the loudest vibrator <laughs> I ever, had ever heard. She gets a cramp, which is a very real yeah. thing, you know, isn't it? She bursts out of the bathroom because she can't get an orgasm, presumably. She finds her husband, who is sitting at his laptop, wanking. <laughs> he claims he was working. <laughs> and they have an argument about... He's got his wank. Everybody's got their wang around this movie. He's like, he's, we don't need to see his <laughs> There's wang. There's a lot of penis. A great deal of penis. Yes. And then, and then they sit down or kneel down opposite one, one another and therapise each do. other, don't they? Yeah. Like going, How did I make you feel about doing whatever it was I was doing? <laughs> And he's obviously, he is feeling insecurity and inadequate because he can't give her an orgasm. Yeah, well, he's, he's a bit of a young boy, isn't he? But what I'm saying is this lack of wisdom as regarding the technical aspects of a job, I mean, like male impotency and, and premature ejaculation is all to do with thinking about it too much. It's obvious what she's doing is just, you know, she's overthinking this. And it's just not pursued in any kind of way, is it? So I thought that was all very, very strange. Anyway, we know at some point the guy who's being a really creepy, creepy stalker, but it's okay because he's really handsome. We know he's going to come in there. And does he turn up to the party? I think he does, doesn't he? He turns up to the next session. He does He does turn up. Toward the end of the movie, salon. there's a power cut. Yes. There's a power cut and everybody... This is a real thing that happened, wasn't yeah. it, in New York as well? But they all go to the short bus place because... Uh, well, I assume because they realise it's a place with lots and lots of candles. Scented <laughs> <laughs> candles, doubtless. That's a bit later, though. In the meantime, we discover that the dominatrix, who Dr. Sophia goes to meet... In a flotation with, tank. Yeah, they go to a flotation tank. You're not supposed to be in them t- together, normally, no. are you? You're supposed to be isolated. isolated. Anyway, she admits that her real name is Jennifer That's Aniston. Right. Yes. Did I, did Jennifer I catch Aniston, that right? Yeah. <laughs> you did catch that right, yeah. Dr. Sophie then, she takes she, t- she takes her husband to short bus and she's got a... Love egg. A, a love egg with remote control that she gives to her husband. But her husband puts it in his jean pocket Forgets at the back. It. Forgets about it, yeah. Just sits on things and leans on things. He's a bit of a Homer Simpson, isn't he? <laughs> like, this was comic. Well, I didn't find it particularly funny, to be honest with you. This is it, yeah. It's... It is sort of a joke, sort of played comedically, but it's just not that funny. Anyway, so Stalker turns up and like he's confronting whoever. I don't know who he's confronting. The the new the third the third the third He confronts Yeah, Seth the third because he's obviously been watching J and J as the perfect gay couple mm-hmm. for ages and perving at them through his uh, through his camera. Maybe I shouldn't be judgmental about voyeurism. I, think I mean, this is, ex- no, anybody, this is, is extending to stalkerism, I think. Well, only when he gets involved. Yes, he is getting involved. He's followed them to a bloody party, Richard. Come on. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> he's confronting their new... Anyway, yeah, the third wheel. He confronts the third wheel as the weakest link. He's like, just, you know, stop spoiling my guy's perfect relationship. And, of course, the therapist in the middle... She's like having a go at him. At the same time, her boyfriend or the guy watching TV with her boyfriend is accidentally pressing her love egg. And it causes her to have, you know, fling her arms and punch out the guy, the store. To basically have a fit. So th- this was perhaps the most unconvincing bit yeah, of the entire I, I thought movie. This was supposed to, it was He's supposed meant- to be deeply comic, wasn't it? It was, but it wasn't very good. It was horrifying. <laughs> it was just, it was horrifying. It was just terrib- terrible. And she's unhappy, not surprisingly, that her husband has lost the remote and... She runs outside, pops the egg out and smashes it with the leg of a mannequin that she pulled off the wall. Which is a, a phrase I'd never imagined I'd ever say. <laughs> so at the end we get like a crisscrossing and we get a crisscrossing of the three major partners and their development having been to the salon. One, the dominatrix now... What's happened to her? Something's happened to her, I can't remember. <laughs> oh, she's whipping, she's whipping the therapist's... Husband. husband and they're both yeah. kind of satisfied with that so, so they've yeah, achieved yeah, yeah. beatific happiness the therapist goes through some sort of hallucinatory or weird kind of disconnect with the world where she's run through forests like like a yoko ono on on <laughs> mana borneo drugs or something well yoko ono used to wander around new york with with a plastic bag as a baby in in a pram, didn't she? Like so, it's like Yoko Ono gone to the power of Yoko Ono, and ends up at the shoreline, a beautiful shoreline, and lies on a bench and starts doing herself in public, kind of thing. Whilst the, whilst the tide is coming in, heavy, heavy, heavy metaphor going on here, and the lights are shining brightly. And this is the point, roughly speaking, where unfortunately our self-sucked yes. guy puts a bag on his head, takes some pills, jumps into a pool, and tries to kill himself, and records himself doing it. But he's saved by camera voyeur. So you see, Paul, stalking's not all bad. It isn't, no. And he saves him. Who then does a weird kind of necro moment where he's, like, kissing a dead body. But it's ironic, isn't it? The lifeguard being saved by someone when he's drowning, so... Anyway, again, at this point, he says for the third time his first backstory, which is, I used to do John's, you know, I used to be... I used to be rough trade, uh, and now I'm not anymore. And Jamie saved me from all that, and... Get that for the third time with no development. It's just mentioned again. But he doesn't die. He's in hospital. But of course, purposefully, he doesn't want Jamie and the third leg or the third wheel of their of their uh, relationship. What's he called? Spelt with a C. Seth. Seth. Seth spelt with a C to find out. So he discharges himself from hospital. <laughs> Only stalker guy knows where he is. No, no, no. You've oh. forgotten. Stalker guy, camera guy, had written his telephone number and email address yes. on self sucked guy's face. And when he looks at himself in the mirror, he sees it. And he does indeed call. Wow. And they meet up and they fuck. Yeah, now finally, self sucked guy finally. can achieve a passive role, you know, and achieve sexual satisfaction. So it's, it's three couples. Oh, and of course, Seth and Jamie kind of eventually find out that he's not dead. And he's in the opposite. He's in the apartment opposite. And he's really, really happy. And they seem to have achieved some sort of satisfaction too. So it's all about achieving quite a hippie kind of, quite a, you know, bohemian, New York bohemian kind of wild and crazy kind of inner peace through revolutionary and reforming action. As we mentioned, towards the end of the movie, there's a power cut. Metaphoric power cut, yeah. And all of the characters, everybody goes to the short bus club because there'll be loads of candles there. And also, they'll be able to fuck. The gay couple become a quadruple, whatever that word is for a foursome. Mm -hmm. There's now the camera guy and Seth and Jamie and James. 
A band marches in. Justin Bond is singing a song called We All Get It In The End. I love the lyric. Yeah, it's very good. Your demons will become your saviours. That was really nice, actually. And we all get it in the end. It's a beautiful innuendo. Yeah. Lovely. He's like totally embracing your demons. Your demons can become your angels. And when that change of perspective happens, when you stop being frightened of things you don't need to be frightened of, they stop being demons. It was lovely. It was a re- I, That was one of the strong points. I thought his lyrical input at the end was great. And the marching band comes through also, which is good. And slightly surreal. And Sophia gets her orgasm. Bam, and the lights come back and on. power is restored. Wow, what a metaphor. Okay. Curtains. Curtains. Okay. So, yeah. not too deep a metaphor, but well done, everybody. Okay. So, it's sort of metaphor you're writing at age 12 where you just discover what they are. But, yeah, peace <laughs> through radical extroverts. If you're writing this metaphor at age 12, you probably need to see someone. <laughs> not the age 12 was that I teach. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. We've got one kid, and his surname is Power. And the other kids are like, hey, hey, what do you call your daddy? Power daddy or daddy power? Uh, it's just like, they just know what all that means. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, oh, yeah, gosh. it's just, that's the least extrovert thing they say. Like, I, and so I'm helping with the computer studies. I'm like, can you just, can I just come over to the keyboard? Like, daddy, no, daddy, make me, make me, make me, make me let you, make me let you use the keyboard. It's like, oh, God almighty. <laughs> it's just nonstop. Like, so it's just so way advanced what they've been watching. Just not right. I, I agree with Mary Whitehouse on this. Like, 12-year-olds should not be watching that kind of stuff. Right, okay. Because uh, they just don't know what it means necessarily, but they just adopt it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so... Well, it's interesting you should say that, right? I, I think it, kids would be better off watching Short Bus. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Plenty of other stuff. Yeah, this is a serious move that takes itself seriously and does try to engage with issues seriously, you know. Fair play and fair credit to that. You know, this is not... It's not titillating. It's just the way they try to do sense of humour doesn't necessarily work. That's all I'm saying, yeah. I'm not knocking this movie for anything that it's trying to do. It's it's really educational, really informative, and really held my attention all the way through. How do you feel about it, Richard? Oh, it holds your attention. I think it's difficult not to. Yeah. It's engaging. I like the central character of Sophia. I, I don't particularly like the gay couple. I just don't, that bland, I don't vibe no, they, But it's quite accurate. You know, gay guys often, you know, they did have the shining boy childhood, you know. You know, they've got the little pendants when they're five years old and cute. And they're still cute, but adult, you know. And they've kind of... New York's a big place where these people can just kind of dissolve into functional averageness and, and, and become quite bland, successful people. Uh, of a non-specific variety. So, but can I talk about some central themes here? Peace through radical extrovert social action. You know, this is like hippie stuff, isn't it? This is Berkeley. This is, you know, everybody converging on San Francisco with flowers in your hair kind of thing. You know, it was weird how everybody went through the same process of really giving into publicly displaying their sexual peccadilloes and what might be perceived as weaknesses. And through that, one, having some sort of technical sol- technical solution or technical mastery to their sexual lives, and two, because of that, achieving quite beatific inner peace. The idea that sexual happiness is happiness, that you have to conform to the pursuit of sexual satisfaction in order to gain sexual happiness, and that sexual happiness can only be achieved through sexual activity, and that emotional health is principally defined as being defined by sexual health. I mean, I think all this runs through is quite quite ugly subtext viewed in a modern sense, but... Mm. But what I think was actually very progressive during it, during the time, you know, during its day. Yeah, you know, you have to get out there and go to the sex clubs and be open about yourself. And it's by being open with yourself and being extrovert and you know conforming to this idea of you know, healthy 
extrovert sexual activity, free and open and not afraid of what other people might think that you can achieve inner happiness. I mean, it's quite a jump from sexual happiness to inner happiness, isn't it? But that's what they achieve at the end, you know. They're, they're smiling up there with the Buddha, aren't they? Yeah, I suppose it's a stretch, it is, isn't it? It's placing a lot of emphasis on sex as a means to somehow fulfilling yourself. If, I mean, if you put images of thin girls uh, on the front of magazines with big smiles and told them by losing weight they could become happy, we'd have a problem with that, wouldn't we, these days? So yes. I just want yeah. to say, in the way, it, it's not about body fashion, it's about sexual behavioural fascism, isn't it? It's, fashion is a strong word, I'm sorry to use it, but I can't think of the right word to use. But it's the idea, you know, we've got to conform to these kind of social norms of what is deemed healthy sexual behaviour. And that's the weird thing. Yeah, but a lot of people... That's, a, that's the weird thing. They're supposed to be embracing diversity in their club, this but they're it. not really. Yeah. They're saying you must be healthy. You must be sexually healthy. We can't have unhealthy sexual pe- sexually unhealthy people here kind of thing. And it's not that accepting when you think about it, is it? I think most of the people who are clutching their handbags about this kind of film, yeah. would, they wouldn't see this as any kind of healthy sexual expression, would they? Because oh, no, it's no, no. jam-packed with what they would class as deviant sexual that, behavior. As, as a salon, it was very, very nice and nothing nothing horrible happened. But, you know, we've all heard the horror stories about the 70s uh, hippie ashrams in India where all the, you know, the Western, Western, the Western Hindus went, or, you know, the people that went to discover themselves went from Australia and England and America. And, you know, the horrific group rapes that occurred in those places and that kind of thing. So we know what goes wrong when people are told to conform to a form of behavioural health. It, it can be terrifying. And so I just thought with that in mind, historically we know that having happened, it was kind of like, I don't think they ploughed the best line if this movie was supposed to be informative. They had no researchers. One guy wrote it, so we can forgive him. Are we at a scoring we are, yeah. situation? Go on then, Paul. Give us a category. I'm, I'm kind of like, it's. I'm, I'm, I'm occupying duality with this movie. You know, I think it did so much in its day to really sort of kick open doors. It's got to be seen as groundbreaking. Yeah, no I mean, it's, it's good as RuPaul's uh, Drag, drag race. race in terms of what it does. It just it just says this is an alternative perspective. These are people living lives that you might imagine a wood lice or, you know, or earwigs in your house if the house is New York. But actually, everybody's equal. And, and you know, these, these lives are just as worthy. And so what were we scoring, by the way? <laughs> What was the first one? Oh, I was choosing a category. So in terms of plotline and how it was relevant to what they were trying to do, I thought, yeah, generally it worked. The humour was a bit off. I'm going to give it an eight. For plot? Yeah. It held. We've taken the listeners through the plot, so I guess it exists and it's coherent. Yeah. You didn't like it, though. It's just the message is a bit lost, as you said. Yeah. You were critiquing whatever message you might read yeah. into it. And it's, as you say, not that funny. But it's got that nice sort of Sex in the City vibe, slow, kind of not much going on. It's almost TV showy rather than film, isn't it? You know? It does, and I think this is important, make sex seem light-hearted. Like yeah. No one's taking the whole thing too uh, seriously. Yeah. I think that's yeah. great. So I'll give it a seven. Okay, how about acting? I quite like the acting. I thought, I thought uh, one, Paul, who, what's he called? Paul, what's it? Paul Dawson, did I say his name was? Paul Dampson, who yeah. plays Selsock James, did a really good job of doing hidden depression and hidden neurotic nail biting. You know, he does that. He, he did that really well. I, I think he played like a bland kind of half intelligent gay guy. 
quite well also. This has got to be a difficult acting yeah. job. I mean, they're they're actually having sex with their, <laughs> the rest of the cast, especially for uh, Suk Yin Lee, who played Sophia. Yeah, she, she's you know she was married in real life. Wow. I think, or had a boyfriend, and she had to get her partner's blessing to do this film, where she gets fucked by another guy. Wow. And you know she mucks around with several girls as well, doesn't she? So difficult acting role. I, I think she also got sort of in trouble with. Canadian Broadcasting Company, whatever it's called, that, that was employing her for taking this role, wow. which presumably some people thought... Jeopardised the sitcom that she was in at seven, on 7.30 on Canadian TV. Wasn't yeah. Wow. Uh, and yeah, getting a part in this, <laughs> no pun intended, in this film. You know, I think uh, from what I read, they had to all talk about sexual experiences and stuff. I think it's a, a seven for the actor. I'm giving it a seven too. I've just written down my little score bubble. Seven two, yeah. Not bad at all. Right, okay. What about sexual politics, Richard? Sexual politics. It's progressive, I think. So, you know, I'm going to go eight here. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't held that well, I don't think, over 15 years. I think it's a little bit, in some aspects, the the message about... The, I, I think there's an implied message about how to achieve sexual happiness. I'm not sure that it's that sensitively applied to people. So I'm going to score six on this. But I think it has to be of value to people, this movie. So, yeah. Oh, do we have another category? Yeah, the sex. What, what are we going to... Sc- the sex? Okay, yeah. sex. Obviously, there's quite a lot of it. I think it's a difficult wank. <laughs> difficult places to wank. <laughs> At the barber's, under the... <laughs> under the barber's robe thing. <laughs> difficult, but... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't bust a nut about it. Like I say, this isn't pornography, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I mean, if I'd seen this at 15 on Channel 4... I would have been, I would have thought I'd hit the mother yeah. load, right? This would be amazing. But ultimately, I mean, there might be three minutes of sex that you're into. Did, no, but did you, but did you think the sex was nicely presented? Do you think it was watchable? Do you think it was realistic? I mean, I, 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 I've never been to a sex club and seen an orgy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you not? i got so many friends like this. Right. <sighs> you're just making me feel like prude. No, I, I am a prude when it comes to this kind of thing. I, I've been along. And at one point in the movie, they say, hey, voyeurism is participation. And that's the kind of thing my friends would say, you know, like, <laughs> like that. Like, for me, for me, the problem is the sexual politics. Like, the large number of really meaty peckers in here. There was no micropenis in sight, you know. It's not... I thought the sex itself was quite sumptuous and, and quite nicely presented. There wasn't a lot of... Like, you'd imagine there'd be more, like, consensual violent sex, you know, in, in those kind of places going on. But again, it's a short bus. It's for people... I don't know what's going on in this movie. But, yeah, like, I thought the sex was quite well presented. It's just, again... It's real sex. It's not... It isn't simulated nonsense. It's not one of those Hollywood things where they both have to have one foot on the ground and they're all wearing modesty pants and in the morning one of them gets up and a sheet comes with them and acts yes. as an impromptu dress <laughs> nor is it porn sex which is real but really corny I mean that's, that's the thing about sex often it does feel really corny when you're in the middle of it doesn't it uh, and this doesn't feel corny porn sex they have to repeat the same scene for like oh, five God, minutes things, to make yeah. sure you get off and the straight guys in gay porn don't have any female fluffers wow I didn't know that wow but you, you said they just use Viagra, these, but I don't think they do, actually. I don't think they just use Viagra. 
Because that would you can't just yeah. use Viagra. Viagra doesn't immediately give you a hard on. But it, it would be painful to use it every day. It wouldn't be good for you, would it? I, mean, I think it can give you a bit of a headache. Give you a runny nose. Beside the point. Let's score the sex. Yeah, I've got to give it a seven for being real sex. Yeah. you know, not fake sex. Uh, the sex for me, I think, would have to be. I'm going to score it down a point for the, the just the fact that they're all big peckers and there weren't any sort of normal, normal tiny little peckers there or whatever like that. They were all showers and growers. It, it was all like everybody had like an impressive package, you know what I mean? And that's just not real. So for, I, that that would definitely be a score down on the sex and the sexual politics. So in total, I'm going to give it eight for the sex, Rich. Overall score then? <laughs> Looking at my scores, what, what are you going to give it, Rich? Well, here's the big question is, who do you sit down and watch this film with? <laughs> Your partner, obviously. Is this a first date movie? No, this is this is like the... I think we need to go and speak to a guidance counsellor. Sex therapist. This is what you play before you have that serious conversation. You test the waters with this. You see, you see oh, the parallels between us and them? You know, kind of thing. Laughing, joking. And... And then if they say, yeah, I do actually, they say, well, I think so too. We need to go and see a guidance council. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, for that, it's invaluable, isn't really it? Really valuable. It, it performs a real educational and informative function. I'll give it a seven. Do you know what? I'd give it a seven too. It's well worth watching. It doesn't drag. Actually, it moves pretty quickly. I think the intrigue is enough. The humour is enough. It's not particularly funny. But the attempts of humour are enough. And yeah, it works as a movie. It's a bit lightweight, isn't it? Yeah. But, but I think that's, you know, sex is supposed to be that. And of course, these days, we're not, I mean, like, I, I think the idea back then was like, oh, wow, gosh, we can all go to these sex parties if we want to. I think most people these days are like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> it's just sex, you know what I mean? Not that interested. Be a bit sweaty. Bit sweaty, now, awkward, you know. Just watch some porn instead. Uh, so yeah, it, it has dated in that in that sense, in the sense that people were still very excited about sex back then, and I'm not sure people are that excited about it anymore. I think you may be projecting, Paul. But what movies are you going <laughs> to offer for I me? Just knew he couldn't. I couldn't he couldn't go without. He couldn't go without having a date. Needling, needling me. I think. No, I think. Paul, I think you're... I would have been excited by this movie 15 years ago. I think. Oh wow, gosh, look at that world that's opening up to me. Gosh, wow, I've got to go and explore that. And I wouldn't think that these days. I just, I just hope that you're not going to give me a whole lot of recommendations from X Hamster <laughs> next week's movie. Was it shaving Ryan's privates? And <laughs> well, there's two places we could go. We could dive into the world of gay because, like Jennifer Tilly, and now this is kind of this is kind of a gay and trans-oriented movie, isn't it? In a certain sort of way, uh, we could dive into the world of gay cinema if you want to, but I don't think we should do that because. It's just a huge rabbit hole. Uh, however, let me give you some other choices that are a departure from this and kind of back to maybe our usual fodder. One, could I look, uh, could I direct your attention to Mulholland Drive, one of David Lynch's later movies? And he hasn't made any for years, so it's, it's still a really old movie. Betty Blue by the Seaside. Don't know what you think about that one. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, which is kind of like a semi- anti-fascist surreal adventure on a train I think and finally and your final choice is of course uh, David Lynch's first movie Eraserhead right okay very difficult Paul oh. very difficult there's two that I really want to see yeah uh, that I haven't seen and that is Mulholland Drive and Betty Blue whoa do you know I'm, I'm with you all the way on those two choices wow gosh it's like we're made for each other Richard let's go and see Guidance Counselor <laughs> 
I'm going to suggest I think Betty Blue. My neighbours, sorry to interrupt, my neighbours think that we're in a relationship, Richard. <laughs> they think we're like, we're, we're more than Morecambe and Wise, more than the odd couple, they think. I don't know. Just when you came to visit, they said things. Sorry, on to your choice. Well, I've been to your place one I know, time. they're so nosy fuckers. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, go on. Furry. Betty Blue, Paul. The, You're choosing Betty Blue? The film, the film of the poster that was on every Stop it. You're making my we night. You're making my day right now by choosing that. Are you seriously choosing that, Richard? And I don't know what it is, really. I've never seen it. Uh, so I only know it from the poster. Oh, well, we're going to find it really lame because it's 35 years old. It is out of the normal... Uh, Normal time span. If there was a film of that tennis playing lady who's showing her ass, it would be this. Then we'd be watching that film. This is like the but... Nick came and Levi advert of films. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. Just yeah. put put it in put it in perspective for you. Well, it better be good. It's not good. It's you. not good. But I'm, I'm waiting to see what you've got to say about it. Just one thing to say before. I thought you hadn't seen it. I have seen it, but I fell asleep through it. Uh, <laughs> recently, right. well, as a young guy, I saw it, but I was I was worse for wear. In ways that I can't really huh. declare. Uh, so I watched something, but it didn't make that much sense. Right, okay. Just wanted to say, Paul Dawson, who played James, is actually the real-life husband of Mike Carbonaro from The Carbonaro Effect, like the magician who pretends to invent these ridiculous new uh, sort of products in, in supermarkets and does, like, demonstrations for people. Have you not seen The Carbonaro Effect? No, what's that? Like I said, oh, look at this. This is like a little life jacket in a little pouch. And it's like a tiny little bag, like, you know, the size of, I don't know, the size of a thimble. And then he'll open it up to a massive life jacket. And they'll go, wow, that's amazing. He says, but wait a minute, in the life jacket, like this, like, this little inflatable boat? <laughs> and then, you know, using using sleight of hand, you have this huge dinghy appear from nowhere. And people <laughs> like, wow, how did you do that? That's amazing. Can I get one of those, you know? It's, yeah, so he's actually married in real life to that guy, the Carbonara Effect guy. Yeah, wow, he's, he's a really good magician. If you like that kind of social engineering, buying into an idea kind of magic. I'll have to look at that. Until the next time, Paul. Yes, it's goodbye. It's ciao for now. <laughs>